This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and community members share stories about their life and work. Our first series of conversations comes from people who attended the 2017 Imagining America National Conference, which was held in and around Davis, California. This time, a conversation between Gwen Johnson and Milman F. Harrison, who met each other for the first time at the conference just two days before they sat down to record their story share. Gwen is an educator, community volunteer, and lover of Appalachia. Her family has deep roots in the coal mining community of eastern Kentucky, and she works as an early childhood training coordinator at the University of Kentucky. Millman is a sociologist and member of the faculty in the African-American and African Studies Department at the University of California, Davis. His teaching interests include race and ethnic relations in the U.S., the Great Migration, and the role of the black church in the African-American freedom struggle. Despite their disparate backgrounds, they quickly learned they had a lot in common. They discussed the importance of empathy, recognizing cycles of oppression, and remembering our common humanity. I want to ask you, what do you care about? Oh, boy. What do I care about? I care about justice in in the world. And I care about what some would refer to as common folks, right? Um, I, I always think about my interests always end up in my in my work in my teaching i'm always interested in what did the people whose names are not in the history books what did they think what did they feel what did they do um i i care about the people who don't make great things or lead movements and organizations but but they worked hard every day to, to make a life better for their children, and they helped build this country. And, and and I care about the fact that they don't get heard as much as some others who are more powerful do. Well, I want to echo that um, and say that something that I care about very deeply is wrapped up in everything that you just said, which is community. Mm-hmm. Because when we say community, uh, it's embracing everyone who lives in a particular space mm-hmm. of uh, or geography. Um, and community, I think, can be regional and it can be national. Mm-hmm. So I care about community. And so I think that you, my friend, and I are on the same page. Yes. Yes, I believe we are. Um, what lessons... Has your life work taught you? Well, it's taught me what not to do, mm-hmm. I think. Um, because the hurt and the oppression that I have felt personally um, has caused me to have a particular empathy toward anyone else that I think may be feeling oppressed. And I try try to be careful not to tread upon that ground uh, when I meet people because it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own world and not consider someone else. 
because we're all in a struggle mm-hmm. of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so that old adage about walk a mile in my shoes and that we're our brother's keeper, I think that's kind of um, what my life lessons have taught me is that I have I have to consider my brother if I'm going to be happy myself. Yes, yes, yeah, and I, I, I yeah, that really that resonates with me too for the the work that I do, especially teaching about the experiences of people who are not part of the groups that I personally identify with, but to um, learn about various groups. I teach a class in which we learn about all the groups that came to America and the people who were here when all of us came. And the thing that I have learned is that all of us from whichever group that we come from or identify with know what it feels like to to have our lives changed and shaped and affected by people who are more powerful than we are and who come in and make decisions about our lives without care or without consulting us or without even uh, an acknowledgement of the the effect that it will have on us. And so those kinds of things um, are what I really try to get um, my students to understand and to really kind of connect with that that common experience of human beings of of knowing what it's like to be um again to walk a mile in someone else's shoes who has been oppressed we can all identify places where we have been um oppressed but we also can sometimes um well, not sometimes. I think it's important for us to also be mindful of the ways in which we have been an abuser <laughs> yes. or we've benefited from the abuse that we may not have committed personally, but we benefit from it. And to be able to see that and to own that and not try to run from it or hide it or pretend it didn't exist. Sometimes I feel... Uh, like I need to um, do as Nehemiah did uh, in the scripture when he repented for his sins and the sins of his city. And um, that I need to repent for my sins and the sins of my people uh, who have uh, treaded heavily on other people. Um from the Highland cleansings being ousted from their own homelands. Then they came to this continent and fought in a revolution and ousted the natives from their homeland Mm. as well. And so I wonder sometimes where it all ends. Mm. But I think that the the repentance for the sins of our people um, and and the fact that this nation has been built on the backs of uh, the African-Americans and uh, the other oppressed people 
Uh, I come from the coal fields of Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things have been built on the backs and the blood of the coal miners. Mm -hmm. And so if we... If we can just achieve the mutual respect mm. and agree on what we can agree on and disagree on, but, you know, in the mountains we say that we fell out with somebody. Mm. <laughs> well, why couldn't we keep from falling out with people and just go on on what we disagree on? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Falling out, we use that phrase too. <laughs> and and the part about I think the 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 hope that I have and what I would like to see in the world that I think is missing right now is is people's ability to disagree with each other, uh, to disagree with our ideas about what should be happening in America or what's best for America. And again, this is not just, you know, it's not just an American thing, but our ability to disagree with each other's ideas, but still affirm each other's humanity and uh, each other's right to have a different idea and still be worthy of respect and I think that is something that I've I'm really that troubles my heart is um, and I, I heard um, uh, uh, the Supreme Court Justice of um, of California um, say that in her field in the in the of, in the job of being a judge she deals with conflict every day but what she has found is when people disagree and and leave the other person with their humanity then they have space to reconsider their position they have space to reconsider their ideas when they're not defending an attack on their person or their identity. That really stuck with me. And it's one of those things that I keep trying to live out that in my teaching and other areas of my work is to say, yeah, I disagree with those ideas, but this is still a person. I'm not going to sink to calling them names or dehumanizing them or just putting them into a stereotypical category, right? So I think it's difficult because the culture we're in right now or the way our culture has been going and the political climate, it's and honestly, some of the the media um, kind of, you know, when we're sitting here talking together, this may not be such an interesting story. But (laughs) but if we were in conflict, this might make the news at night. So, you know, there are lots of other forces that are shaping what's going on. But if we could take our power as human beings, as people to say, no, I, I reject that impulse to dehumanize someone. No, you are not my enemy. No matter where you came from, no matter what your people did, no matter what my people did, we are not enemies. We may agree on issues, we may disagree, but we are not enemies. 
You are a human. I'm a human. And just on the basis of that alone, we are all worthy of, of, of respect and love. I, I think that's what's missing in, in the discourse of, or in public life today. Being from um, a coal mining community, being a coal miner's daughter and a coal miner's granddaughter, um, and having been married to a coal miner, there's something that happens in those deep, dark reaches in that job where um, men become brothers, no matter what their religion is, mm-hmm. no matter what their worldview is, no matter what the color of their skin, they become brothers. Mm-hmm. And because they have to have each other's backs or they might not survive. Mm-hmm. And they might not survive even if they have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. But in the present political climate, it seems to me that the dangers of being separate are much more than the dangers of being together. And I believe that there are some forces in play that want to keep us separate, who who want us segregated into groups and against each other um, and at odds with each other because of differences of opinion, differences of color. But I think if we could think about those, this is this is kind of how I frame it in my mind, being from where I'm from. If there's that camaraderie and that love and that brotherhood and sisterhood, because there are ladies who are coal miners as well, Mm -hmm. but if those relationships can be forged in those deep, dark, dangerous reaches, are these reaches out here any more deep and dark and dangerous in the present political climate? I think not. Mm. Wow, that's... I, I. I love that. I love I love when you talked about in being in those dark spaces and they're dangerous and the people who are working there they have to stick together. They, they have to work and and even if they do that doesn't guarantee their survival either. Mm-hmm. But it certainly improves the, <laughs> you know the, yes. the the part that they um have control over. And I love that you're saying that, you know, in this country, in the world right now, we're in deep, dark, dangerous spaces. We are. And we need to help each other. We need to have each other's backs in a way that may not have been. I mean, we've always needed to do this, um, but maybe we need to broaden the, our idea of where the deep dark dangerous spaces are they're not just located in this community or that community but we're all in the bottom of a you know down in a mine or in a dark space dark space like that um there are things that are going on that can affect all of us i the threat of nuclear war who would have thought that you know when we were children i used to be afraid of a nuclear war Mm -hmm. And to think that my children have to worry about it now. Um, And what you said just really also reminds me that there are forces who benefit from us being separate. 
and who benefit from us thinking that we don't have anything in common and that you're taking something away from me and and you know I got mine and so they should struggle or whatever and do and get theirs I'm not going to help them so it's it's really um I think so important um for us to um to, to again come back to humanity, to come back to basic humanity, because a lot of times I think about what happens if there is a catastrophic um, event, and I mean this is a, I, I watch a lot of dystopian movies and science fiction, but I'm a doomsday prayer exactly. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but what happens if those things do happen? You will be left with nothing but each other, you know. And so the, 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 I think the task for us is to start thinking that way to avert something that's cat, that could, you know, be catastrophic that way. We can stop this, 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 this runaway, this, what seems like a runaway train. And it does indeed seem like a runaway train. Yeah. It just really, um, when I see it playing out the way the media wants us to see it playing mm-hmm. out, and I and I know it's dark, mm-hmm. but when I see them trying to, it seems like they're trying to set us at odds mm. against each other. But they're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that even government sometimes profits from uh, from us being separate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Can you tell me a story about a recent experience that, for you, names our current historical moment in time? Well, I guess um, I'll talk about a community meeting that we had. And um, in our county, 88% of the folks voted for Trump. Um, And I was really so torn after the election as a community leader and someone who tries to speak for the people. When that happened, I, I, honest to God, didn't know how to speak. I didn't know what to speak to. And, um, And I certainly didn't want to betray the constituency that I felt like I was trying to work to help. And so it it kind of left me in a in a place of real indecision and a place of kind of confusion, mm-hmm. not knowing what to do. And we had a a community meeting where all the community leaders around our county gathered uh, to eat and break bread and to meet and discuss things. And uh, the election was first and foremost in everybody's mind, although it was not on the agenda. And there was a letter had come from Massachusetts um, that had some derogatory remarks about it concerning the way people had voted. And I knew that people around that table, that the vast majority of them had voted for Trump. Um, Well, I can't say the vast majority, but I knew there were Trump supporters around the table 
because my mom was sitting there. My mom was a staunch Trump supporter. She's 81. And she, you know, our people were um, out of work and uh, disgruntled and uh, addicted to drugs and everything else. And she thought we needed a change. And she went and just voted her heart in the election. And I knew that. And what erupted around that table was so kind of crazy because there were two or three people who burst into tears Mm -hmm. around that table. And I felt like bursting into tears myself. Uh, And there were people who were angry and people who agreed with what was being said. And, And so there we are in a space where we're trying to think about the needs of the communities, the needs of the many as versus the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. And there was such a conflict around that table. Now, people were not, I mean, people were just emotional. Mm-hmm. There, was, there, were, there was no fighting, no arguing, um, none of that around the table, but the the emotion and the confusion and the indecision, um, I think that's the political climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I have what was in I was in several meetings that week, including my own classroom, and we couldn't move on until we addressed the election. But even more than that, I I think about how my daughter, who is um, almost 17, and she could have gotten her driver's license a a year ago. Um, And she, when I asked her, you know, if she wanted to go forward with it, she said that she was afraid to drive because she didn't want to be killed by the police. And my son is 14 and very tall for his age, and he doesn't like to walk around our neighborhood because he's afraid that someone might kill him like Trayvon Martin. And when I think about that, all I have gone through in my life to do the right things and to get an education and to put my children so that they don't have to have the kinds of experiences that I had in the 70s and to see that we're still fighting the same battles and that my children are going through some of the same things. These are some of the things that when I think about the political climate and when I say we have to, everybody can relate to the feeling of wanting to protect your children. And I'm trying to have my children grow up and to thrive while fighting what I see is them wither. I don't want them to wither before they've had a chance to actually grow and go out into the world. And so it's a very tricky balance right now to want to push them to do things and to experience experience things, but and basic rites of passage, like getting your driver's license or being free to walk in your neighborhood. And, you know, um, at the same time, being very aware that it isn't safe for them. And until it is safe for them, then we're not free. We're not free. And, and, and I'm not free. And if my children are, are not free, and if we're not free, then no one's free in this country. And I think that is the basic level of humanity that we can all agree on. If we can just get to that place where children don't feel free to 
be children or to grow up. Let's start right there, you know, and and um, and I have to say, I'm very I'm really angry about that. I'm very bitter about that as a father, but I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful because we can all we can land there. We can meet there at that space. What can we do better for our children, all of our children, you know? I imagine a world where the children are happy. Yeah, and a world where the children are free and where they want to grow up and be in this in this world. Yes. And they're safe. Absolutely. That was Milman F. Harrison and Gwen Johnson, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference, where they had just met. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence, I imagine an America. We don't have to be center stage to be doing important work. And collaborating, respecting other countries, cultures, languages is going to be important for us to be the humanitarian country that I've always believed we are. So... I imagine an America that is, at the core, humanitarian, and I see that as being our highest purpose. To hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California Davis, or the University of California Regents. If you'd like to contact the IA Story Share project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. And you can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Gabriel Reynolds. Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California, Davis. Mm-hmm.